Thanks for listening to the first episode of Bitcoin One-on-One. Now, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is my first podcast ever, but that's never stopped me before. So let's get into it. Now, today, Josh Souter came over to my backyard to talk about how to make money from crypto. Josh is a long-term cryptocurrency investor and advocate for all things Liberty-related. He currently runs Liberty on the Rocks Denver and has had his work published by Fee and featured in the Kerbe Report. Today, we're discussing how to make an income from crypto. Josh is about to quit his full-time job and make money as a crypto investor full-time. He's been quite successful. Now, I'm a little skeptical, but you will hear how Josh has been using lending, staking, liquidity farming, and more to be able to make a full-time income from crypto. Let's get into it. So, Josh, thanks for uh, coming uh, here today. Um, talk a bit about crypto and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be interesting. We'll talk about technology, some of the political aspects of Bitcoin. Um, maybe you can start by uh, telling me about your background. How did you discover Bitcoin? Anything interesting have you done with it? Sure, sure. Uh, so I discovered Bitcoin back in 2013. I was a college student at the time. was very mm-hmm. poor, unfortunately. Um, but I was already a pretty radical libertarian. And so I went to a libertarian meetup and a couple of friends of mine told me about this thing called Bitcoin. I asked them a bunch of questions about it. Um, and, you know, I, I felt that their answers were sufficient. And after talking to them about that, I realized this is probably something I should uh, I should look into and start investing in. So I think at the time it was about 30 or 40 bucks of Bitcoin. So um, this was early 2013. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I started following it and uh, I bought one Bitcoin a couple months later. I think it was about $100 when I bought one Bitcoin. Uh, and I was pretty much just hooked ever since. So I remember um, I graduated in 2013, so sometime around October, November, when the price started really spiking, you know, I was supposed to be doing finals, and all I could do was watch Bitcoin charts um, just because that was all I cared about. I was like, what am I doing writing English papers? Um, I, I was an English major, English and poli-sci was what I got my degree in, and it felt like such a waste of time when there was this amazing thing called Bitcoin that I wanted to be a part of in some way. Um, so it was a very interesting experience. So then uh, after that, I ended up working in IT. Uh, so I did that for a few years. I'm, well, I'm still technically doing that. But I worked a uh, computer lab in college, help desk in college, and then got a job out here. Um, I worked uh, help desk for a real estate company back in 2015. And I remember telling all of my coworkers at the time to buy Bitcoin. So it was around 200 something then? Yeah, it was right around there. I think it had come back down to about 250. And I remember one of my coworkers was like, I just don't get it. You know, Bitcoin doesn't make sense. Yep. Uh, he's like, it could go to zero. I was like, it could, but it could also go to a thousand or ten thousand. You don't know. And he's like, ah, it won't happen. I remember at the time, my boss would actually mock me. He's like, uh, um, he's like, yeah, maybe I'll get some Bitcoin and then I'll get some Monopoly money while I'm at it. And that was actually really frustrating because I'm like, you guys are all technology guys. You guys should understand why this is useful and important, even though they didn't have the same sort of political persuasion that I did. Of course, there's millions of technology guys in the US, and <laughs> only a very small fraction got into Bitcoin. And that's true. That's true. I always found that strange that they couldn't at least appreciate it from a technology perspective yep um and i get that we had very different politics um but i know since then my old boss has uh said you know i regret not listening to you because obviously you were right um you know and even i should have listened to myself more i should have bought more bitcoin than i did you know i sold some of my bitcoin too early Mm -hmm. um and eventually i pivoted from bitcoin to ethereum did pretty well on ethereum back in 2017 um, and then the last year, I've really gotten into DeFi. Um, and then, you know, I have a lot of friends and connections in the crypto space. My wife worked for Shapeshift for about two years. Uh, my roommate just quit Binance US. Um, you know, we hang out with uh, Eric Voorhees and a lot of his friends um, pretty often. We, and so we're pretty mixed into the crypto space. And okay. we talk about it a lot, even though I myself have never actually worked in it. But my plan is I'm, I'm uh, thinking I'm going to quit my job 
the beginning of the year and start going full on into DeFi and, and Liberty and crypto um, as sort of my full-time job going forward. So it's interesting you got into it in early-ish 2013. Of course, late mm -hmm. 2013 was the first big hype cycle, and that's right. when I got in. Right. So I got in right, right around 1,000. It's a peaked at 1,000, and then it dropped to 236 or something. Right. Um, so I've been in for almost as long as you have. Yeah. Um, a lot later than a lot of people I know, but still earlier than this current last two waves, I guess. Yeah. Um, so what are you most excited about? Are you, well, let me ask, are you most into Bitcoin or are you interested in exploring the whole space? So at, at the moment, I actually have no Bitcoin, if I'm being honest. I'm in almost entirely alts. Mm. Um, so the transaction fees back around 2017 kind of scared me away from Bitcoin a little bit. And I ended up cashing out most of my Bitcoin into other coins. And in retrospect, that was probably a mistake because um, Bitcoin, uh, I cashed out right before Bitcoin exploded. Um, but I saw that there was a problem with the usability, right? The transaction fees were so expensive. And obviously there's some solutions, you know, Lightning Network and such um, that deal with that now. Um, but at the time, I thought that was going to be a bigger problem for Bitcoin than it ended up being. So obviously I was, I was wrong to a certain extent on that. But now if you look at like, you know, the people who are making 100x gains on their Bitcoin, you're probably not going to make that anymore. You're not going to make 100x gains if you buy into your Bitcoin. Probably not for Ethereum either, but there's a lot of other platforms where you can still make that. Now, that's obviously a little bit more speculative and mm. uh, a, a lot little bit more speculative. Yeah, yeah, a lot more speculative and a lot riskier. Um, but if you want those kinds of gains, they're outside of Bitcoin. And in the DeFi space, you can make really good interest rates on top of all these other projects. So I think there's a lot of other gems to look at, even though Bitcoin is like the gold standard of crypto. So I'll get, I'll challenge you on that later. Sure. But let me ask, what do you think is the most exciting aspect of crypto in general? Uh, just the decentralized nature, the ability to go around governments and institutions. You know, if to I want, achieve what? Uh, financial sovereignty, uh, financial privacy. You know, if I wanted to send you a million dollars right now, if I had a million dollars, I could send you that in 10 minutes, you know, if we had everything set up and there's no banks, no intermediaries to go through. Um, we can do all of that without any approval from anyone. Are you interested about the money aspect of crypto or about all the other applications that are um, going on these days, like smart contracts mm -hmm. and all kinds of utility tokens where it's not a money, but it's a platform for getting some kind of other value like VPNs or web hosting. Yeah, yeah, so all of that. I think all of that is the future. Um, there's a lot of projects that have really just kind of come into fruition in the last year or two. So back in 2017, we had the ICO craze, right? We had this promise of all these things that were going to do, like free us from everything. And now we're seeing a lot of that like coming about. Um, so just like a few obvious examples, I mean, Monero for privacy, that's been around for a while, mm -hmm. but Monero is probably the best for privacy. Uh, Secret Network is another real cool privacy application. What is it again? Secret Network. Okay. Um, so it's basically based off of Monero privacy, but then it also has um, its own swap. Um, you can earn high yields. Um, you can bridge in from Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, and Monero onto Secret Network and bri um, bridge out. So that's a cool one. Something like Library is a really obvious um application of decentralized tech you know it's a alternative to youtube um uh, bat or brave browser with bat tokens is another mm -hmm. cool one you get paid just to have your browser pre-search uh you get paid for decentralized search so you get paid per search uh and there's a hundred other applications and then all, we have all these other different blockchains building different things to all compete with each other so which projects are you most excited about uh so some of the ones i just mentioned i think are all pretty cool um more for utility mm -hmm. um and then purely from like an investment point of view i think solana's got a lot of um potential 
Um, so that's one I'm in. Um, Secret that I mentioned, I think that one's really cool. Binance Smart Chain has a lot of cool stuff working on there. Um, on a all of these have much lower transactions than something like Ethereum. So I'm still in Ethereum, but Ethereum can be a little bit difficult to use um, for, for different things. So are you in the space as a trader or have you got into blockchain development at all? I'm not a developer. Um, so uh, I've worked in IT for about a decade. And I know some PowerShell and some and some Bash, but I'm not a developer, so that's something I might want to get into at some point. You know, maybe some Solidity, smart contracts, that kind of thing. But it really hasn't been anything I've been in so far. So right now, my primary focus has really just been a little bit chasing gains, um, just because that is what has gotten me to this point where I feel like I can actually quit my job in two months. I'm making enough money per day in new tokens in the DeFi space that I can quit my job. Now, um, I won't ask how much crypto you have, but what sure. I will ask is, um, is your goal to get a revenue stream or to earn a certain amount? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had metrics maybe six months ago. I had very specific metrics that I wanted to hit before I was going to quit my job. Recent politics have kind of changed things a little bit, um, so I've kind of lowered some of those metrics that I want to get. But I'll tell you, I make more in about two days right now in new tokens than I make in my paycheck. So every two days, I make more than my paycheck, which for me, and now that's not going to be sustainable. I'm not going to make that amount forever. So part of what I want to do is focus on finding new projects that can continue to make good payouts and make more or good trades. Um, and this is actually what my good friend who just, he just quit his job at Binance um, is doing sort of this, the same thing. So he and I have been talking about different projects that we can uh, get involved in, uh, airdrops that you can qualify for, that sort of thing. So I'm going to ask you um, about some details, but... First question is, is this current boom in the crypto a fad cycle that's going to fade away? Right. So if yeah. you leave your career, do you have any assurance that it's not going to fall back to 30000 and all the alts will collapse and the income opportunities right. will evaporate? No, I don't have any insurance, uh, so it is a bit of a risk. Now, that being said, so like one of the metrics is I wanted to have a certain amount of money put in stable coins set aside. Um, and you can make interest on those on DeFi platforms or on centralized platforms. Again, there's no guarantee. Um, so one of my goals is to pay off debt um, and get my master's degree um, in the meantime. So, you know, this might be a short-term thing. I might just take a year off and go back. But I'm also focusing on my master's degree in uh, cybersecurity and information assurance. So I figure by the time I go back in a year, um, I'll have a few more certificates um, and, my, and my degree. And I'll be able to get a higher rate than I'm making now anyways. Um, and I had some other personal goals as well. I trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I want to finally get my black belt. Uh, it's been been longer than it should. I've been at brown mm. belt for about four and a half years. Mm. So that's that's another big goal. Um, and I'm at a point where I can afford to do it. My wife has a good job. You know, she took a year off a while back, and I and I did the whole thing to continue working. So we're going to switch it. And luckily, right now I can cover all my bills easily. Um, and like you said, it a lot of the market could tank, and so one of my hedges against that is stable coins. Now, of course, stable coins could could technically tank as well. Um, so I'm trying to decentralize that risk as much as possible, being in different stable coins on different platforms, different networks, earning different interest rates um, as one of my hedges for that. Okay, so let me challenge you a little bit with the maximalist uh, <laughs> sure. response to this. So Bitcoin is money, mm -hmm. and it's the best money because yeah. it's hard money. Yeah. It has a limited supply. And um, furthermore, everybody needs money. Sure. In, a, in any society, you need to have a medium of exchange and a store of value uh, unit of account. So those basic properties are universal. And so my point is that it has the most universal use case and there's a clear need for it right now, mm -hmm. uh, both because it's good money and because the alternatives are really bad. Alternatives worldwide are fiat. And right now we have this uh, inflationary um, 
cycle. A lot of people are concerned that it'll become hyperinflationary yeah. because um, basically all the developed countries have made these commitments um, to the world welfare programs and they're becoming more and more bankrupt. Mm -hmm. People are getting older and they're getting, the programs are more and more expensive, unsustainable, um, nobody wants to raise taxes. So hyperinflation is a real risk. So the point is that Bitcoin uh, technically has great qualities and it has a clear business model. Yeah. Now I would say, as opposed to things like smart contracts, mm -hmm. um, if you look at something, I, I just use uh, Ethereum as an example, um, nobody right now really needs smart contracts. Mm. Uh, the demand for Ethereum is entirely based on demand for um, all these tokens um, that right now have very little real-world utility. Sure. And if this demand for the, all those tokens goes away, the demand for Ethereum will also evaporate. Sure. And the same goes for all everything that I would say other than money. So um, I'm very optimistic about the long-term case for Bitcoin because universal need and the best alternative we have right now to fiat i'm not so sure about all all the other business models mm -hmm. um they've been trying since 2013 15 to have real world utilization but i think very little of that has actually happened okay so yeah so bitcoin was the original it's the best it's probably the safest um so it's it's the best in in terms of long-term uh viability i think but I think Bitcoin does have problems. Um, so you mentioned that maybe smart contracts aren't super useful now. And I, I probably wouldn't disagree with that. But the potential for smart contracts, I think, is still huge. And Bitcoin has never been great at that. So Ethereum was sort of the one to come in and, and to offer all that. And Ethereum has its own problems too, right? Um, I mean, obviously, the transactions on Ethereum, sometimes you could pay as much as $150 for one transaction, mm -hmm. which is sort of the same problem that I had seen with Bitcoin. Well, so for example... Um I'm doing some liquidity mining, and mm -hmm. for me to exit the position, um, it's $500 to to fully liquidate the the liquidity pool and convert it back into ether. Yeah, like the series of five transactions and $500 for all of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've been there as well. Yeah, so and that's Ethereum, and that's that's one of the reasons I think why it's good to have other platforms is because you don't pay those transaction fees on most other platforms. So they're trying to offer solutions to problems that Ethereum and Bitcoin have through other methods. So something like Solana, I think it's less than a penny for most transactions. Finance Smart Chain, something like 13 cents. Um, but but a is, little bit. what about the fundamentals? Is there real-world demand for smart contracts in general? Or is it all just a shell game? I mean, it might be a shell game, but a shell game is still real-world demand, right? I mean, if people are putting money into it, that is demand. Even if you could argue that maybe it's artificial and it won't be sustainable, I think that long-term, that might be the case. And so right now we can just kind of ride, ride that wave a little bit. So, I mean, you could look at it as just getting to DeFi just to get more Bitcoin. That could be something that you approach it as. Isn't that but just gambling? A, a little bit, yeah. Time the market, get as much profit while you can? A little bit, yes. But I think it's very different than, you know, throwing a thousand on black or a thousand on red, right? Because that that's just pure chance. So in the case of crypto, um, liquidity pools and flip pairs and all that, you can game it in a much more real sense. Um, so, you know, you can put thousand dollars into let's say not ethereum but i put it on binance smart chain and i'm earning 100 percent apy mm -hmm. on that mm -hmm. so in one year i'll earn exactly one thousand dollars um now i know exactly what that uh, is assuming those underlying tokens are sh uh still worth something true right? true and there are some coins that are very speculative you know there's a lot of platforms on binance smart chain that will come up with these crazy names you know it'd be like uh ape swap or um 
PancakeSwap. And PancakeSwap is actually, funnily enough, the most legit one on Binance Smart Chain. Um, but there's a whole bunch of others with weird names that have had tokens that have just tanked. So there's one called VikingSwap that was paying out a lot of money for a very short period of time. Within a 24-hour period, they're like, actually, we can't compete anymore. We're abandoning the project and the token tanked. That is definitely a risk that you take. Um, and so that's why I would say for these platforms, you don't want to put a lot of money into these coins that don't have a lot of utility. So let's say PancakeSwap because I know that platform. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, the just holding um, Cake, mm -hmm. the native token of PancakeSwap, in the in their, their pool has a 73% annual return. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's another way of saying that it has 73% inflation. Yeah. Because most people that are holding Cake are staking it. Mm -hmm. So it's just inflating that much of a year. And the reason that the underlying um, cake token is not falling 73% every year is that demand is keeping up. It's not the only reason. That is one reason. But one of the other reasons is they do burn a certain amount of the tokens. So they, they deflate their own coin by burning those tokens. Did they burn the token because people use the token to do currency conversion, basically? Mm -hmm. um, now, I would question whether uh, people are really paying enough value for conversion to burn that much token. I think the vast majority of that is um, just just printing more cake. Yeah. Because if you look at more established uh, um, decentralized exchanges like uh, uh, Uniswap, mm -hmm. the rates are much lower. Yeah. As soon as they get more established, they stop printing so much token, and the rate the yield drops. Right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So I think the common element with all these new um, uh, DeFi platforms is they have uh, very high rewards when they begin to reward the participants. Yeah. But that's also when you have very high risk. And as adoption increases, the rates drop because they're, they're basically paying people mm -hmm. to use the platform. Yeah, yeah, uh, I completely agree with all that. Um, so there are, there are new platforms constantly that are spinning up. Now, some of them are a little scammy, not going to lie. Um, but some of them will pay out really good interest rates in tokens that you trust, right? So you can make your money in, so let's say Cake. Cake is uh, PancakeSwap, which is a fork of Uniswap, was the first one on Binance Smart Chain. And that's sort of like the primary fuel for the entire Binance Smart Chain eco structure. Mm -hmm. um, so you can go to all these other platforms and you can earn your money in Cake. Oh. Um, and so Cake is relatively stable in comparison to some of the other shit tokens, for lack of a better word, sure. on Binance Smart Chain. So you can go over to say AutoShark, for example, you can make 300% APY in Cake. And so Cake is a, I believe it's a top 25 project right now that's relatively stable with good interest rates. And there is some utility that it's for all these other platforms. And again, it is a little bit of gambling. It's stable as long as people value using Binance Smart Chain right. uh, as a platform. Right, right. And that, I do think that demand is only going to increase as we see something like Ethereum get more and more expensive, more and more bogged up with all the smart contracts that, that, that they're using and bridges from Binance Smart Chain to all of these other networks. So you can you can bridge directly from Binance Smart Chain to Cosmos, uh, to Ethereum, to Secret Network, um, Bitcoin Cash, you can bridge directly from it. So you can take your Bitcoin Cash or your Bitcoin or your Ethereum, send them directly to Binance Smart Chain, then you can make some yield on them and then port them right back over to any of those chains. Bitcoin Cash? Mm -hmm. uh, how, do, how does it uh, wrap Bitcoin Cash on Binance Smart Chain? You, you mean as far as like the technology behind well, it? Well, I guess, is it just creating a wrapped token? Yes. So Binance itself is holding your Bitcoin Cash at any time? The, the, or, or Ether? I, I don't know who's actually holding it, and that's a good question. That's something I should double check. 
Um, but you are trusting some entity to, to sure. hold your, your actual tokens. Sure. So yeah, so it's wrapped on the, the, the Binance smart chain. That's where it is. And then you can use it on that chain and then you can convert it back over. And you do go through a Binance bridge, which is a centralized service provided by Binance so, at this time. Yeah. So at, at this point, it is actually Binance that is holding uh, whatever wrapped asset you're using or yeah. like wrapped Bitcoin. Yeah. So you would still have it on the Binance smart chain. They don't have that. Uh, but they do help you convert it over to that. So, th And that's with the example of Binance. There is still some centralized control, and Binance Smart Chain itself is not the most decentralized chain. Um, that's been sort of one of the big knocks against it. Uh, but you could look at something like the IBC protocol with Cosmos, where it, it works a little bit differently. So you can trade from one coin directly to another coin without going through a centralized exchange. Um, I got it. So Jameson, Jameson Mop, mm -hmm. uh, the founder of um, Casa, he did some research and he basically tried to set up um, a full node for all the top um, crypto assets. Yeah. And uh, it was very interesting. So Bitcoin, you can, um, on a decent computer, get a full node, I think, in about three hours. Okay. If it's fast enough. And there'll be something like 300 gigabytes. Whereas Ethereum is about eight terabytes for, for, for the full blockchain. Okay. Now, um, if you're running a node, you can uh, truncate to the most recent uh, blocks, but the, the full thing is eight terabytes. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be storing that whole eight terabytes. Yeah. Uh, now he tried other assets. A lot of them are extremely centralized, like internet computer. That that protocol, uh, you have to apply to host a node, mm -hmm. and you have to purchase uh, hardware from internet protocol approved uh, vendors. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there, there basically is a range of um, centralization from uh, a uh, federated network where you only authorized uh, organizations can run a node um, to in, in Bitcoin where anybody can set it up and the resources are pretty low. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum is very slow because as a smart contract platform, it's storing a lot of data on network that's not just... Uh, like in Bitcoin monetary transactions. Sure. And it's orders of magnitude larger in terms of data set. And that's why it's so expensive because mm -hmm. you're basically paying for people to be storing now eight terabytes of data on their node. Um, so uh, my point is that um, Bitcoin is uh, relatively cheap and decentralized because it's just pure money. Mm -hmm. um, Ethereum is uh, expensive because it's doing so much more. Sure. Um, and if all if Ethereum's traffic switched to any other nodes, it would have the same problem. It would become expensive because um, other platforms are not fundamentally uh, more efficient in how they store data. Sure. So whatever the winner is, it's going to have this issue of expensive transactions if your use case is more than money. Sure. And I, I think that's probably true. And I think that is also a good argument for why we want more blockchains. We want more blockchains to do more functions and more different things so we want a competing ecosystem and are there too many projects right now yeah probably <laughs> i think there's what six thousand different uh, cryptocurrency projects right now and that's probably not sustainable in the long term um so okay. maybe we'll you know in 10 years 20 years from now maybe there will only be 10 projects but the bottom line is we don't know right we don't know which projects are the best projects long term there were certain projects that we thought were, were going to take off and then they failed and then there's you know the inverse um so i think I think it's a good idea to have lots of different projects competing and doing different things. And who knows, maybe Ethereum will fail, but the, some of the lessons learned by Ethereum would be ported to Bitcoin. Maybe all of this will just be Bitcoin in the future. That's true. 
Um, but then again, maybe it won't be Bitcoin. Bitcoin's had a lot of problems as well. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of like the compa comparison between MySpace and Facebook. MySpace was the first one, and you could argue that by being on Facebook, you're taking away from MySpace. So why would you want to be on Facebook when you literally hurt MySpace by being on Facebook? And yet, we all know MySpace tanked relatively quickly, and Facebook's still around. And now you have Facebook and Twitter, and you could still make the same argument. Why be on Facebook when you're taking away from Twitter or any other centralized um, uh, uh, social network? No, I think it's great that people are free to experiment with launching their own chains mm -hmm. and have the freedom to decide what to invest in. The problem I have is uh, when people are looking only at numbers going up and not at the fundamentals of what makes a good crypto asset. Sure. So, for example, I think that um, there's a set of criteria that you should look to evaluate a crypto asset that's not based on whether the price has been going up, but on fundamentals, such as does this solve a problem for many people? Mm -hmm. Not number one. Uh, number two is, is the community behind this uh, asset, does it have a healthy culture? And then three, does it have good network effects? Sure. So just taking Bitcoin as an example, um, money is a very universal problem. Yep. So it definitely has a proven use case. Um, two, I think, well, every human institution is imperfect, but it does have a pretty effective community in the sense that it's been able to innovate major changes in the protocol. Uh, for example, we had major changes in the, in the address format, and we, we had SegVit, and we had just a, I forget the name of the recent upgrade to the Bitcoin network that was just uh, voted in. Was it the TapConf? Yes. Okay. The Taproot? Or Taproot, sorry. Taproot tap upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, and then number three is that it's the best network effects. Hmm. So my point is that there's a set of criteria that you should use to judge these assets and not just go by you know, whether the price is going up. Sure. No, and I completely agree. So, and I don't want it to come off as I'm only chasing numbers. I do do that to a certain extent because I can make more money in that sense that um, all of these projects are established enough that I can make money. But long-term, I 100% agree with you. It's actually a bit of a frustration that I've had because in the last couple of years, I've really come to this realization that for most people, the fundamentals don't matter. And that's not just true of crypto, that's true of everything. You can look at companies like Theranos that company had no fundamentals for 15, almost 20 years, and it eventually caught up to them. But until then, it almost doesn't matter. And I feel like you could apply that to a lot of other larger um, like uh, political issues. I would say you could apply that to something like COVID. The fundamentals are not what they tell you the fundamentals are, um, but it doesn't matter if, as long as everybody believes it. And that's what's true for a lot of crypto projects. So if there's enough hype, it'll bring the money in, and, and so there's still a lot of investment money to be made even though long-term it probably won't work. I think the attitude a lot of people have is, yeah, I know this is a Theranos, this is crypto asset, mm. but I know how to time it to get out before everything collapses. Sure. Because, in fact, um, money is a natural monopoly, and smart contract platforms are also, to an extent, a natural monopoly. There's likely to be only a few winners. Yeah. One for each different business model. One money, one smart contract platform. Uh, so people are just betting that they can ride the wave and get out before it, it collapses, before mm. the one winner emerges. And that's true for some of them. But I think if we were to look at like, you know, something like the the stock, um, the dot-com bubble and all these companies that came around there, you could make the sake argument for that, right? Well, why do we need 100 companies all doing, you know, uh, providing food? Why wouldn't just one company do that? Now, obviously, there's different logistics in a physical space than there are in a digital space. But, um, and a lot of those companies did disappear, but it's good to have competition between all these different projects, all these different companies, 
And how do we define what is and what is not a failure? So if, if a company or a blockchain only exists for 10 to 15 years, people make a bunch of money, mm. you get something accomplished with that, was that a success or a failure? You know, um, so long term, everything's going to fail. In a thousand years, Bitcoin's disappearing, everything's gone. So if, it, if these projects only last for 20 years and they accomplish something, if nothing else, they're writing code, that code can probably be ported to something right. else. Uh, two, people are getting paid. You know, they're getting paid either from the coin itself or, or their development work. So people are making money in that sense and people are learning new skills. So it's like, even if that, if that platform tanks, is that a failure? I don't really know how we judge that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and so I think there, there's a lot of different space for that. And, and again, we can't know, right? Because like some of the projects I mentioned, Library and Monero, I think those are two of the best projects around. And I think those wouldn't exist if we went with like a purely Bitcoin maximalist perspective. Um, I think Monero might be the single most useful token there is from a pure privacy uh, and transaction point of view, but it's difficult to work with. Um, I know, again, not a coder, but I know from a coding perspective, it's difficult because the transactions are so private. Um, but I think that that is one of the most useful projects, and we shouldn't you know, get rid of that because of some of the complications with focusing on just something like Bitcoin. And then library, same thing. Um, so like I, I run Denver Liberty on the Rocks, all of our videos that go up on YouTube, I they automatically copy over to library, and I get paid for every video that gets put up there. It's not a lot. You know, I've made something maybe 80 bucks in the last six months to a year. Again, not a lot, but it's still something. I'm getting paid for that, and it's decentralized hosting on a decentralized platform. So I think that is a really useful project, even if it does tank at some point. Experimentation is great. I mean, I think all the altcoins are experiments, and if they're a strong winner, Bitcoin is free to adopt it. The problem I have is that so many people are thinking that I can time this market, and... Uh, yeah, this is probably not legit, but sure. I know how to get out before it all collapses. Sure, sure. And, and again, it's, is it going to collapse necessarily or, or are prices going to decline? And a lot of the time it's relative to other prices and you go back and forth between um, the different projects. So like I was saying earlier, I do invest in some of these really speculative ones just for the interest rate, but it's small amounts. It's always being very careful. Some of them I lose money, some of them I make money. But usually when I make money, it's 10x or 20x. When I lose money, it's I invested two grand, you know, something Got like it. that. So you can still do pretty well, but you know there's a certain amount of risk with with all of these things. Another, you know, thing that's kind of nice to do, you put in two grand, maybe after six months, you forexed on it, cash out your initial investment, the rest is just, you know, the house's money that you're playing with. So you can do a lot of that kind of thing. And like you said, this isn't going to last forever. You know, um, I've got maybe a couple years, um, probably best case, three to four years of, of new DeFi uh, projects that keep popping up um, and that I can keep making money off of. Um, but and then it might go away at that point, you know, but then we, we do revert back to some of these other projects that have things like on chain staking. So like Cosmos on chain staking right now, I think it's about 11 percent, mm. um, which is very low in comparison to the DeFi rates, but very high compared to, to uh, traditional finance. So, so Josh, um, for beginners in the space mm -hmm. that want to earn some interest of their crypto. Mm -hmm. What is your recommendations? What platforms are the most sure. user-friendly and have good returns? So there's a lot of different ways to kind of approach that. So I'd say, um, so one thing that you could look at just doing is say, you know, you're in your bank account, you got a couple thousand dollars in there, you want to invest something. If you want something really low risk, you could just look at a stable coin like DAI, BUSDT, uh, a dozen other projects, and then just get on a centralized exchange like Nexo or Crypto.com. Celsius, any of these, and then just make returns uh, anywhere between eight to fourteen percent on their platforms for staying on stable coins. I think that's a pretty safe thing um, that you could do. Um, so just fourteen percent on your your two grand, you know, your investments, um, and you're going to make a lot more money doing that than you would with something like a four hundred one k. 
Um, so by comparison, uh, the bank interest rates right now are basically zero, yeah. right? Savings account, right. money market account. And uh, compared to, let's say, the stock market, mm -hmm. um, stock market is one, there's no guaranteed returns, obviously. Right. But the average long-term return rate is going to be um, around 9%. Okay. Minus 2% for, for, for inflation. Mm -hmm. But you have the same thing with stable coins. So basically 9% yeah. is the long-term return rate. So Sure. Sure. So stock market volatile, um, but you'll be getting about the same rate as stablecoin with a guaranteed return, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not a stock guy for all the reasons that we've talked about. Um, I think it's kind of a rigged game, and I don't understand it super well. Obviously, you can make really good returns if you're lucky, but you can lose a lot of money. So something like this is just a kind of an easy way to get into crypto okay. to make a decent return, which, and yes, you still suffer from inflation, but at least you're actually making something because like you said, bank interest rates are terrible. I work for a bank and I think the best interest rate that we provide is 0.02%. That is the best one. Uh, you can find a few uh, good interest rates if you look around. I think T-Mobile actually offers 4% interest for the first $3,000 you have in your account. They have a bank product or what? Is yeah. A savings account product? It's, it's like a savings account. I think it's 4% on the first three grand that you have in your account and then an additional like one or 1.5% past that. I looked into it real briefly, um, and I'm not sure if it's something I trust enough because it's you know a phone company. But there are things like that that are alternatives. So I should say another point of consideration is the real inflation rate. Mm -hmm. So the official rate this year, I think, is like 4.5%. I thought it was over that. I thought it was yeah. like 5.5. 5.5? Okay. It's That's... gone up since I checked. Right. But So if you're getting 0.01, you're actually losing... Yes. Uh, five percent <laughs> yes at least that, this year and like you said that's the official rate and i think most of us who are paying attention know that it's probably much higher than that and always has been but i know prior to covid the official goal of the fed was to try to aim for two percent right two percent inflation per which year. they have officially um stopped trying to hit that number as <laughs> during the covid emergency right right um and that's probably not getting better anytime soon um, so as much as possible, I think it's it's good to get out of the dollar and get into assets that are that have utility that you can use and are earning you some money. So you mentioned Nexo, BlockFi, and Celsius Network mm -hmm. as platforms you'd recommend. Yeah, those are all ones that I have used uh, personally. Um, well, actually, not Crypto.com. I had a weird time getting signed up with them, but I hear they're good. Um, and then Block BlockFi is another one, and there's a bunch more too that I haven't really looked and into. So they're all paying around nine percent. You said. For for dollar equivalent stable coins. Yes. Now I haven't checked the rates in a few months. Um, I kind of pivoted into DeFi and haven't been using those as much. Um, but I think Nexo specifically right now is it's eight percent for. It might. Sorry, I can't remember the exact numbers. Anywhere between eight to fourteen percent. Now usually if to get the full fourteen percent, you have to own some of their tokens, and then that'll qualify you for the higher rate. Um, last I had checked, Crypto.com had the best rates, but I I could be wrong on that now. So. If you have a guaranteed return that, mm -hmm. that's the same or higher than the markets, why isn't everybody doing this? I think a lot of people just don't trust crypto. You know, They don't know what it is. They don't get it. Um, they don't understand it. It's confusing to a lot of people. So I've talked to my family about trying to get into some of this. Yeah. You know, My sisters don't have a lot of money to play around with, um, and, they, and they don't want to put their money in something they don't understand. So, they understand the dollar. So how are the platformers making money? How are they earning 8 9% or, or higher? The companies like Nexo yes. and BlockFi? Uh, they do loans, so you put up your money as collateral, um, which is then used to loan out to other people, and they charge interest back on those loans. Um, and I think they do some other things on the back end um, that uh, they make money and, as well. And those loans are supposed to be 100% uh, collateralized by people who are putting up their Bitcoin. I, bl I believe so, yeah, Bitcoin and other assets. But I've never actually taken it, um, 
a loan out in there, so I'm not the best person to talk to. But as my understanding, generally you put up a certain amount of collateral, you can take out a loan. And I know there's been a few cases, especially if there's like a flash crash in, in the prices, where people get liquidated. So so I was actually given a job offer um, to work with one of these crypto lending platforms. And so I know that the way it typically works is um, if you have some Bitcoin and mm. you don't want to sell it, you put it up for collateral and you get cash. Yep. But typically you'll pull up put up two uh, to three, sometimes four times the value in dollars of Bitcoin mm. and the cash you're getting, that's called over collateralized, yep. so that if the price of Bitcoin collapses, your loan is not liquidated. Yep. So liquidation would mean that if, let's say uh, you you want to borrow 100,000, so you put up 200,000 Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin falls by half, the, the lender would sell your Bitcoin, basically canceling out the loan, mm. So, so um, um, those loans, for people that are loaning uh, money and putting up Bitcoin, it's safe as long as the price doesn't fall too much. Yeah. If it does, they have to put up additional capital on Bitcoin. Right, right. So, I mean, there's definitely a risk there. Um, like I said, I've never actually taken a loan out with them. There are, there's also decentralized platforms as well, a whole bunch so of they're them. They're doing all this using a smart contracts like yeah. Compound. Yeah, yeah, Compound's one. Alchemix is one I've heard of. Um, and Alchemix... Um, I, I need to look into it a bit more, but basically what I've heard is, so you say you put like $100,000 into it, they'll then give you 50% of that loan, basically as like your APY up front, yeah. and then they use your loan, they reinvest it into other smart contracts that should pay off after a certain amount of time. So after something like four to five years, it's going to vary obviously for every contract, um, your loan will pay itself off after Got a it. few years, and then you get your um, your initial investment back. And that helps get you around uh, tax issues by, so, by doing crypto loans instead. So just thinking, if you're getting um, 9% uh, on your stable coins, mm -hmm. the loans paid, uh, the interest paid by the borrower must be even higher. Mm -hmm. Probably, so, yeah. yeah. Um, paying a lot of money for the privilege of borrowing uh, cash uh, with your Bitcoin as collateral. All right, so if you want higher than that, mm -hmm. what, what do you do? What platform do you use? Sure. So... Um, so I got my mother into this recently. She threw uh, a small investment in, a couple hundred dollars, um, onto the Cosmos blockchain. So Cosmos recently uh, launched their AMM uh, back in July called Osmosis. AMM, Automated Market Maker, where people yep. can uh, trade one asset for another. Correct. Right. Um, and so it's basically a decentralized exchange that also offers um, high interest yield for putting up your funds as, as mm -hmm. um, liquidity. So... Um, I got her into the project called Osmosis, which is a, um, a project that the Cosmos blockchain has been working on, part of the IBC protocol. Um, and they were offering, their staking started out pretty high, um, so it's a little bit different than yield, it's just staking. Um, it was started out at about 200% APY. So I had her put her, her couple hundred bucks into this token, just stake it at that APY, um, and, and that APY has been going down, it was about 200%, and right now I think it's like 150%. Um, so she's still making 150% returns in that token, on the Osmosis blockchain. Now, when oh. she when she bought in, it was three dollars. Yeah. It immediately dropped to about a dollar fifty. So she panicked a little bit. She lost about fifty percent of her her um her investment in the first three weeks. Which I told her, I'm like, that's that's a risk that you run. That might happen. It's like, but as long as you can handle this in the long term, if you can, uh, you know, just kind of leave it for a year, it's like, it's very likely that you'll make money. Within about three weeks after that, uh, it, the price then doubled to what it was when she had bought in. So she was up about a thousand dollars, and at that point she wanted to reinvest. Even though I told her, well, if you're going to reinvest, you should probably do it when the price is lower. 
Um, so last day I checked, she was up about 300%. And she could have cashed out at that time. Um, I told her that my advice would be to stay in it long term. She's still earning a really good interest rate. She's not earning anything on her dollars otherwise. They just sent her bank account. And uh, I think she actually loses money. I mean, obviously, through inflation, she loses money. But then um, for a lot of bank accounts, they'll actually charge you if you don't have enough money in there or a direct deposit. You know, that's how my Chase account works. I pay $12 a month if I don't have five grand or more in Chase. Um, that's where the point that we've got to where it's almost negative interest rates. Um, yep. <sighs> yeah, so that was a real simple thing for her. She just stakes it. She goes in there about once or twice a week, mm -hmm. um, claims her rewards, and then restakes them. And then so she's making 150%. And then obviously, if the token doubles in price from when she bought it, she'll make that much more, um, the 153% she was making originally, and uh, 2x, 3xing on her token. So this is on the Cosmos chain? Correct. So I have a problem with this whole concept of staking. The idea is that uh, Bitcoin is proof of work, which mm -hmm. means that uh, people have to mine blocks uh, to secure the network, as opposed to proof of stake, where um, people uh, basically vote with their um, coins that they hold to pick validators yep. that are certifying that the transactions that are being made are, are legitimate. Yep. So staking is the action of picking a trusted uh, block validator. Mm -hmm. So like EOS calls it block producers. Uh, I'm not sure what the Ethereum is trying to move to this platform yep. um, where they have Ethereum 2.0 where you, you can stake your Ethereum. So staking, the purpose of staking is to secure the block production. Uh, and uh, it works by people um, locking some of their assets and getting paid at interest. Mm -hmm. Now, to produce that interest, you have to inflate the coin. So, uh, the, um, like, uh, Tezos has a 5% 5-6% um, staking rate, mm -hmm. but also a 5-6% inflation rate. Yeah. So, you, you have to stake to stay even, to break even is the point. Yeah. So, how does staking actually make money? Doesn't it devalue the coin by the same amount as the interest you're getting? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's true in the long term. So eventually, you probably want some kind of cutoff. I mean, like Bitcoin has a limited amount of coins, right? 21 million. Yeah. Um, and not all of the other platforms do. Like, I'm not actually sure what Ethereum's is. I think they're trying to cap it at some point. I think last time I looked at something like 100 million is what we're at right now. Um, but Ethereum's still on proof of work. So they have this problem even on proof of work, um, not necessarily just on proof of stake. So, Ethereum wants to start uh, burning, well, they did start burning tokens so that they can provide the interest for staking. Yeah. So that they don't have infinite inflation. Yeah. Uh, so so all staking um, right now is, basically is based on the value of the price going up indefinitely. Because if it stops going up, uh, whatever interest you make from staking, you're losing through inflation. So you're mm. just breaking even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that could be true in the long term for a lot of them. Um, I think a lot of what you could do is transaction fees eventually, right? So, I mean, isn't that the goal with Bitcoin? That once the mining is no longer lucrative, all of the um, mining, in a sense, will be transaction fees. And that's how they, they pay everyone to keep the network going. Well, yeah, my point is that staking is a way to secure a, a, a blockchain, but um, making money from staking is just assuming that the price is going up. Yeah. Right? I mean, not necessarily. Because if the price stopped going up, you'd be losing the same amount to inflation. Well, I, okay, but but compared to what? Because with dollars, you're losing money to inflation anyways, right? So if I'm losing 10% to inflation in dollars and 10% to inflation in, say, Ethereum staking, but I'm also making 10%, at least I'm breaking even on Ethereum. 
So they're all going to inflate pretty much, um, except for coins that are specifically deflationary. But these coins that are making 100% a year or more through staking, uh, those returns, the value has to come from somewhere. It's yeah. simply, a at this point, a pyramid scheme because most, more people are buying in that are selling, and that's why staking produces such a high return. Sure. Yeah, maybe maybe in the early days. I mean, and like you said, these um, staking slash yield farms, when they first come up, they're very low, are very high, and then they tank pretty quick. So, you know, some of these platforms probably are pyramid schemes. I'm not going to... The, the pyramid scheme implies that there's no underlying value. If you have, if you have a DEX, it's producing value and providing the exchanges. Yeah. But a lot of coins are explicitly like a baby cake. So there's cake token, mm. and there's baby cake, which is a smart contract on the Binance Smart Chain. Yeah. We get paid in cake yeah. for for holding uh, baby cake. Yeah, uh, it's an it's a it's an explicit bit a Ponzi scheme. Like the website is pretty open about this. You okay. hold it, and as long as people keep buying baby cake, you get more cake. Sure. Uh, I think there's a lot of variations on this theme in crypto. Yeah, and that's fair. Um, and I'm very against Ponzi schemes in general. Uh, Multi-level marketing, all of that kind of stuff. Got sucked into one when I was in high school, and and I hate those things a lot um but i do think there is a you know there's a little bit of difference in crypto one they are a little bit more upfront they're not trying to tell you like no you know our our health shake will you know yeah is going to be this big product but you just need to get everyone underneath you get your downline make your residuals all that you know crypto is a little bit more transparent in what it's doing in some ways because you know it's just a money thing you don't have to sign people up so it's not the same kind of thing now again that doesn't mean they're not necessarily scams and obviously there are a ton of scams in crypto don't want to deny that. Uh, was it um, was that big one a few years ago? BitConnect. Yes. The, the BitConnect guy. Which was an exit scam, right? They collected people's money and then just disappeared with their Bitcoin. Yeah, and there are definitely those in crypto, probably on every platform. So you definitely want to watch out for that. Um, I mean, Ripple might be a scam. I think Tether might be a scam. Um, there's a lot of other projects uh, that are, and you know, I I threw some speculative money at a couple of them, and I lost money on a few, and a few of those may have, may have been scams from the beginning, or it may. Have, they may have just ended up being bad projects. So there's a lot of that kind of thing. I don't think most of the good projects, like I don't think Binance Smart Chain itself is a scam, but some of the projects on there probably are. Like the one you're mentioning, Baby Cake, which yeah. I've heard of, but I haven't really looked into. Um, and something like Cosmos, I think is a pretty legit project as well. Um, they launched their own DEX that pays out money for their liquidity where you can use it as a decentralized exchange that can then link to all these other exchanges. So I think there's huge utility in that. Um, even though their APYs are probably not sustainable at the current rates and will continue to dramatically decrease. But your plan is to make an income from basically the, how can I put it, the uh, incentive all these platforms are producing for people to start using them. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. While, while the going is good, mm. uh, when each of these platforms is just getting started, they pro provide incentives mm. in the form of free tokens, high APRs. Yeah. And that's when you have a profit opportunity. Yeah. And so, and to a certain extent, we are printing money. Like, I will fully acknowledge that. Crypto is printing money right now, the same way the feds have been printing money for the last hundred years. Uh, crypto is a little bit more transparent about it, right? We keep printing more money. The market recognizes it and then gives it a dollar value. Whereas, you know, when the government does it, they do it and you have to accept the money. It's the only money you're allowed to use until cryptocurrency came along. So, in, in a certain sense, we're building this whole other ecosystem with printing money. And a whole lot of speculation, but long term, if the dollar tanks, all the money is going to go over in this ecosystem because it's more efficient. Just for the sheer fact that it's a blockchain, and that I can send you a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, 
within a minute on almost any blockchain that I want. And at this point, we are almost able to go from chain to chain to chain without having to go through any centralized exchanges. You can do almost all of that if you know where to go. Sometimes you still have to hit up a centralized exchange here and there. Sometimes they're a KYC central exchange, sometimes they're not. But we're slowly linking all of these platforms together for better or worse. Some of them are gonna be worse. Um, there's gonna be a lot of projects that just fail or are scams. Um, but I think all of that is part of the learning process and the growing process in an early system. Um, and there's a ton of money to be made. Not all of it maybe is legitimate, but you may not know that until after the fact. Mm -hmm. So What uh, makes us not a Ponzi to me is that it's providing underlying value as a money transition yes. transmission network. Yes, I think right? that's a good way to say it. So long term, the uh, assets that will succeed are those that actually provide people value and mm -hmm. don't just have uh, internet giveaways of tokens. Right. And so that's why I do think that if you're going to be putting large amount of monies into something, you should respect the solid fundamentals of a project. So that's why I think, you know, Ethereum is a good one that's safe for that sense. Cosmos, Secret Network, I think are some good projects. Okay. Neo is one I like a lot. A lot of people don't like Neo, um, but I like that one a lot. Um, and then some of these other things, some of these projects on Binance Smart Chain, eh, they may not have any real utility. They might have a lot of money that you can make in the short term. You can just ride that wave and cash out. Like you said, time to crash. Or they could have real utility in the long run. You don't necessarily know. Um, you have to really investigate these uh, projects. And that's one of my issues right now is working full-time, I don't always have enough time to investigate these projects as much as I want. Especially the highest risk is when they're new because yes. a lot of these projects have had a bug in a smart contract code right. where the pool is drained. Right. Basically, some hacker finds some kind of exploit where they can <clears throat> drain all the money people nested. Yeah. And this is the thing that happens. Yes, that's absolutely true. Definitely something to watch out for. Now, pretty much all the ones I've seen, usually they, so like Pancake Bunny was one, where I believe they were able to hack a protocol and they basically printed so much of the coin, they drove the price down to zero. That was one where that token was at $500 and they drove it down to zero and now the token's at like, it's rebounded a little to like five bucks. Um, so that is definitely a risk that you run into. Now in that case, as far as I'm aware, nobody lost any customer funds. So they only lost on that individual token. So you can still use that platform to make APY in other tokens like stable coins or ETH without being subject to the same risk that happened before. Doesn't mean it couldn't get hacked and you couldn't lose um, your actual tokens. But all of these platforms, not all, but a lot of these platforms have um, audits that they post. Um, so like, uh, I think Pancake Bunny is one or two audits. You can go look. A lot of it is code-based audits, so you have to kind of know what you're looking at or trust someone who does know what they're looking at if you're not a coder. Great people can read the um, the actual smart contract code, but it's yeah. like Certic is one, yeah. is the most popular one. Yeah. They do a certification. Um, now, I, I read their audits that they're mostly relying on static analysis tools. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're basically going to the code, running some tools to check for obvious defects yeah. and looking for um, common bad programming practices. They don't actually uh, do uh, user testing. They, sure. don't, they don't actually do the full testing. They just look statically. <clears throat> Does anything here look fishy? Sure, sure, and that's true. Um, so it's hard to say how accurate a lot of those are. And I think a lot of it is, it's almost like a case law, right? They're building off one after another. So like uh, most of these on Binance Smart Chain are a fork of PancakeSwap. PancakeSwap was a fork of, it was either Sushi or Uniswap. And so they just kind of keep building off each other. Everyone assumes the underlying fundamentals were safe for Uniswap. And they just kind of keep going, adding a little bit it's more. It's interesting. Um, everybody's cloning uh, Ethereum's Solidity programming language infrastructure yeah. for their own chains. Yeah. So now uh, Binance Smart Chain and uh, not Cardano, but um, I forget the name. Uh, uh, Near is one. Uh, yes, and Avalanche 
Um, they they're all compatible with uh, Solidity smart contracts. Yep. Um, but uh, sorry, back to the top. So Bitcoin for 12 years now has mm-hmm. had an average uh, uh, annual price growth of 200%. Mm-hmm. So you'd be tripling um, your um, value in dollars if you just hold held Bitcoin. Yeah. So just as an alternative, sure. You can hold Bitcoin. Um, you can hold uh, stable coins where yeah. you don't have the Bitcoin risk of you know price can can fall by by a third or or to one third or more. Uh, that, that's pretty typical of Bitcoin. Um, or you can do the most risky thing and uh, bet on these uh, DEXs, this this decentralized exchanges, and get two hundred percent per year. Mm-hmm. But then you're kind of timing the market and you're hoping that the underlying token does not collapse. Unless you're just cashing out immediately, right? So that's true if you're buying into their token and then getting the high APY in their tokens. And I'll fully acknowledge that that is very risky. And it's also very seductive because sometimes you'll get interest rates as high as 5,000%. Like I've seen that. And that's one of those things you have to know. Like, eh, I don't know if that if that's uh, reliable. Um, but what you can do is like say, um, so say you trust something like Cake, right? Um, now Cake still has some of those problems, but less so than some of the other speculative ones. You can earn in Cake at 300%. You can earn in ETH at like sometimes 10 to 30% or stable coins 30%. So you can earn in a token that you, you trust more um, than some of these other speculative ones. Okay. Or or you can even earn in the speculative one and just instantly cash out. So every week, say you make a thousand bucks, just cash it out into Bitcoin. So you could literally just do that every week into Bitcoin. So it's one of those things that like, there, I definitely agree. There's a lot of issues with some of the fundamentals and there's a lot of unknowns. But the bottom line is I'm making money. Like I'm making a lot of money, so if I listen to the the uh, the maximalists, I would not make money. Like that's that's the fundamental truth. Well, you right? you would be on average over 12 years tripling the value of your Bitcoin. If I had gotten in with the same amount of money 12 years ago, but getting in right now, I don't think that's going to hold up the same way. I could be wrong. Bitcoin could go to 500,000 in the next five years. I think it, that's a totally reasonable. It, it definitely cannot go up exponentially forever. Right. So at some point, it must slow down. Of course, right. we have no idea when it will happen. Right. When Bitcoin could tank, you know, tomorrow it could the price could start going down to 30k, right? Or or 10k, we could get back to you know 2018 prices. Uh, was it 2020? It crashed down to three three grand. So if I put let's say 70 grand into Bitcoin right now, I got what 1.1 Bitcoin, and then if we lose 50% of that, there's a lot of risk. So like don't don't get me wrong, Bitcoin is the best performing asset in the history of the world, but to buy in right now, you're not going to get the same kind of return. I think there's just there's no arguing about that. Is it still probably safer long term? I think that's probably true, but in order to get anywhere near the same kind of return, there is a lot of risk buying in at a much higher price. Now, when we look um, long at the big picture, uh, the vast majority of, let's say, dollar cross-border transfers and the vast majority of money is, is still in fiat. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is a tiny, tiny fraction of global uh, commerce. Yeah. Um, and so for it to be successful, it would have to... Um, not necessarily replace the dollar, but but have a much bigger role. Mm-hmm. So there's still a huge amount of opportunity. Yeah. And in fact, if you're holding Bitcoin, you're kind of betting that it will assume some kind of major role. Like it will replace either gold mm-hmm. or it will replace fiat in some countries at least. Yeah. Right. And it's already um, legal tender in one country. Yeah. So the point is that to hold Bitcoin at all is to assume that it will have a much bigger role. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that, and I think Bitcoin probably will. I don't know for sure if it will be Bitcoin long term. I think there's a possibility that other coins do take its place. Um, that's part of what we're betting on um, by looking at some of these other speculative projects. 
Um, but I think the future is crypto. I think that's pretty much undeniable at this well, point. Why is that? Just because, I mean, primarily the government is destroying their own currency. I mean, the U.S. federal government most notably, but every country across the world. Um, and there's all sorts of problems with it. I mean, they can inflate it. It's it's basically the worst shitcoin is the dollar. Um, it was why okay. So let's say you believe the dollar will collapse. Mm -hmm. What's uh, to stop euro or the the one or some other currency from taking its place? I mean, probably the U.S. government. Um, as long as the U.S. government has some kind of power, they want to stay as the um, the reserve currency of the world. Whereas they can't stop Bitcoin from taking right. replacing the dollar. Right. At Bit least in, in in some contexts. Yeah, Bitcoin crosses borders in a way that other dollars don't. Right. Uh, our other currencies don't. They're all controlled by central institutions that print them and that manage them and can tax them in ways that they can't with Bitcoin. Now, what about gold? Could gold replace dollar? Uh, I think gold's time is kind of done in some ways. Like gold is a good, um, it's a good starting point for money. You know, it has all the properties that make money valuable. Um, and if you were to use a gold-backed currency, I think that 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 does have some utility. But the problem is you're, you still run into all the limits of the physical world that you don't run into with Bitcoin. Got it. So you're basically doing everything you would do with Bitcoin, except then you have it backed by gold. And there are some crypto projects trying to do that. Um, I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but there's a few that are trying to be gold-backed uh, cryptocurrencies, and none of them have really taken off. Because you have to trust a centralized entity yeah. to custody the gold. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the big things. And then also there's things like gold has physical utility in the world. You can use gold for electronics. Um, people like wearing gold as jewelry and, and other things. Whereas Bitcoin is purely a money. There's no other purpose for it other than money. Um, for Bitcoin specifically, other other projects like NFTs have some utility. Um, but Bitcoin is primarily used to be money and you're not, in a sense, wasting it the same way you would waste gold. Another issue with gold is that if, let's say, we try to switch to gold or, or e-gold as money, mm -hmm. we have the ability to mine a lot more. Yeah. Right, so we know where the gold the deposits are. Yeah. If the price quadruples, yeah, we we could produce a lot more, and that would devalue the the value of what the gold we have. Yeah. Whereas you could not do it with Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a fixed fixed supply. Exactly. You know the inflation rate. It's it's predicted out for the next hundred years for Bitcoin. We don't know what the I mean, the inflation rate is exactly for gold. They have a rough prediction it's based on previous it's trends. Three percent per year. Yeah. Is the is the global production compared to the existing supply? Yeah, and that'll probably continue roughly as they predicted it. But this um, assumes the price is stable. If the price of gold went up because people started using it as money, yeah. we, we do have the ability to produce a lot of more gold or extract yeah. rather. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you can you can't do that with Bitcoin. Yeah. When you also run into weird things like, you know, they stumble on a, a new gold deposit and that could change the, the inflation rate dramatically, or they start mining asteroids and find a ton of gold that way, you know, something like that could, could change it pretty dramatically. Mm. Um, or the demand for gold can come up, you know, let's say hypothetically that they discover that gold is the only thing that allows for fusion energy or something like that. And that could dramatically change it. You know, I have no idea if that's physically possible or not, but just something like that could sure. all of a sudden change it pretty dramatically. Whereas Bitcoin is basically like this almost perfect money created just to be money that's its only purpose and so we're not losing out on this other utility by using bitcoin as money got it yeah so okay it, yeah um of course then you do run into the proof of work right we're wasting all this electricity and power on something like proof of work and although i think wasting is not the correct word it's not the correct word because but, it is producing some value for the energy right uh, which is which is sound money right and, and so it's very useful in that sense but it doesn't have to be that way. Like we don't have to use the electricity for that. 
And that's where like proof of stake tries to sort of fix that. So it's an open question whether proof of stake will be as secure as proof of work. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's totally and I, fair. And I think if the um, community of digital consensus established that it's as secure, mm. uh, Bitcoin could potentially switch to that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that might happen. I know it's going to be harder and harder probably the bigger Bitcoin gets to incorporate something like that into it. Got um, it. So and that's why some of the smaller projects that try to do that from the beginning. I think we're probably better off because, I mean, ETH has been trying to do it for, I don't know, what, three years now? They're trying to get over to ETH 2.0. Um, and I know that you can do staking in some ways, but I know it's been a big project that they, it's been delayed uh, a few times. So it's kind okay. of interesting for some of these ones that start that way off the bat. So, Josh, before we wrap up, um, do you have any particular project that you're most excited about? Um, on crypto, I mean, Cosmos is kind of my big one. Um I like Neo too. Secret Network has been cool. They just launched a new platform called uh, Sienna, um, and I'll be, that's one that I don't see the full utility in. It's mostly just higher interest rates, also built on the Secret Network, and they're launching a, um, a high yield stablecoin platform um, that's invite only right now. So I think Secret's a pretty cool one. It's got those bridges in and out to a few different blockchains, and it's totally private transactions. Um, and they're launching um, some secret email and some secret chat apps on top of that. Okay. So there's some cool utility there. And a secret network, is the, that's, that's the website? Um, I think it's secret.finance, I okay. think. But yeah, if you go on the blockchain, it's like, uh, or like on CoinMarketCap, it's right around the top 100 coins. Got um, it. So yeah, just the coin hit about $6. I think it's like 102 or I'll something like that. I'll check it out. Yeah, so that's, that's a really cool project that I recommend to a lot of people. Um, that and Cosmos, I think, are probably the two biggest that have the most utility. Neo just um, they just upgraded to Neo version three, which has a lot of cool updates um, on that one. So they're kind of dealing with a long, slow migration to get everyone over to to N three. Um, but that's one that's got some potential that I think flies under the radar a little bit. Cool. Some ties to China, and not everyone loved that at one point. So. Um, okay. Well, uh, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for coming by today. For sure, man. Thanks for having okay. me. It was fun. All right, guys. That's all for today. If you think I'm not totally crazy to be doing this, please like or comment. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll see you in about a week. I have another exciting podcast coming up. 